tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds? Where it's the same year, and you're the same person, but everything else is different. And what if you can't find your way home? Welcome to another issue of Imagine If Presents Characters 101, and this week, Chris, we are doing The Dominators, basically because the CW, uh, the DCCW TV crossover event that they're doing, they did with their four <laughs> shows, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow, uh, which, you know, they seem to be trying to do a big crossover every every year, and this, this year, it focused on all four shows, so... Uh, they brought in the Dominators for the teams to fight. And uh, I thought, what better way than to have us talk about the original Invasion crossover comic books that came out in... Let's see. When that happened, the original miniseries was January, February, and March of 1989. So that was before the internet, people. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, 1989 to 2017. Let's see... Uh, or I guess it was 2016. I'm just jumping ahead in time. But uh, <laughs> 2016, see how they held up and uh, what they kept and what they decided to uh, leave out. And now, uh, I have not read the original miniseries, uh, Crossover Event, but I watched the TV show, and I think you're the opposite, right? I, I need you to spoil the TV show for me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I, I think we can, we can, I can accomplish that easily. <laughs> uh, all right, but before we get into that, let's go ahead and talk about some comic book news. Okay, well, things are a little bit light. Um, I guess really the, the big payoff for the moment right now, unless something breaks, but the big payoff was the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer. How freaking amazing was that, right? Yeah, it was pretty great. Oh, man, I fell in love <laughs> sexually. <laughs> Wait, don't tell everybody my secrets. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, talk about, like, honestly, the only character that I felt bad for that really didn't get to shine in terms of, I guess, like, dialogue and monologue would be Gamora. Right. Know? But, I mean, like, Rocket and Groot, they were perfect together. Peter Quill had his moments. And Drax, I mean, talk about coming out of left field. You know? So, I mean, it was, it was awesome. And then we got to see Mantis in action. So, it'll be a... It'll be something. I'm very excited. Okay, wait. Which one was Mantis? Mantis was at the end. She was in the green dress, and she had the uh, oh. the antennas poking out of her forehead, and she was like, I can feel people's feelings. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she's uh, she's going to be a new character. Um, honestly, like keeping it comic books, because that's, that's, that's where I come from, I would definitely recommend they put them out right around the time the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out ton of guardians of the galaxy trades out there you know there's the jim starlin stuff there's the jim valentino stuff um but do yourself a favor get the dna stuff that would be dan abnett and oh i should know the other guy darn it but uh yeah get yourself that like go back and if you can find anything from annihilation conquest read it 
Um, because it's funny, that's the one where they actually, the uh, Guardians team up with, well, the Guardians are formed because they're helping Ronan and the Kree defeat the, um, oh, what was that alien race that uh, they would absorb? Like the, the ones that Warlock is from, and they were basically under the leadership of Ultron. Yeah, Ultron in space. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a fantastic series that spun into the DNA launched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. 25 issues, two major trade paperbacks. Well worth it. I, I'm looking forward to reading it again because with the movie coming through. So, yeah, fantastic, fantastic stuff. Uh, what were your reactions? What do you think, man? I mean, I, I, I thought it seemed like a very fun movie, just like the last one. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, you know, uh, to me, the, the, the best part of the trailer was uh rocket and baby groot having their little conversation <laughs> of not pushing the button and pushing the button and not pushing the button and then uh it all culminated with uh rocket you know asking uh star lord for some tape and he says I, no one out there has any tape he's like you're the guy with the atomic bomb in your backpack if anybody's gonna have tape you're gonna have tape like that <laughs> to me that just seems like great like dialogue right there yeah, definitely. They they had some fun stuff. I am, I am stoked. I mean, they're they're fleshed out, and now it's like, okay, let's just go further and further with these characters. So I'm totally excited. Um, yeah, yeah, and like I said, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever read it. You know, when I come back, I'll have to let you borrow the trades. You got to read it. It is beautiful stuff. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. You know, with the idea. I mean, obviously. Uh, I mean, if you take it just from this trailer, Baby Groot's going to play a very big part in the movie you know he's going to be adorable and stuff like that but like uh as i understand it you know groot's origins or groot in the comic book is very is a lot more dark serious scary character and they uh they you know they've kind of really taken the teeth away from it how does that make you feel as a comic book reader you know it's it's funny because sometimes being a comic book reader is the worst thing you could do being a comic book movie fan um for example, like, okay, the X-Men are like the holy grail of the Marvel Universe for me. You know, I love them. I'm a big Scott Summers fan. And, you know, like, you know, when you and I first met, you know, it was like people introduced me to you as like, oh, yeah, this guy, he knows the the, the Summers Gray family tree. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, so obviously, you know, my love for the X-Men and those movies suck. <sighs> I mean, if if I watch them thinking about them as an X-Men fan, they're awful. Watch them with appreciation for what the actors do. And, you know, just a story standing on its own, I can, I can stomach it. I can get into it, you know. I mean, like, honestly, like, as soon as – it was funny because it was a big year for me. It was the year the uh, Green Lantern movie came out. So basically that same year was also when they were going to do the uh, uh, X-Men first class movie, so the reboot kind of. Right. So, obviously, when I heard First Class, I'm thinking, like, Cyclops, Iceman, uh, Angel, Beast, and, and Marvel Girl. So, I'm totally stoked. That's my favorite lineup. This is going to be great. And it's like, wait, what? You know, Mystique? <laughs> what the hell? You know? And, and, you know, I went and I watched it. And as a film, it was good. You know, I just wish they didn't call it the X-Men. Maybe they call it the Mutants. You know, take Stanley's idea. And, um, you know, so, but that, that killed that franchise for me. Now that I've kind of, I basically learned to just stop being so anal retentive about it and I just go watch it and I'm like okay did I have fun did I enjoy the movie so I separate the two um, so when I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy I didn't know anything man I, I, I knew Jack Diddley about the Guardians and I sure didn't know anything about the characters they were saying were the Guardians of the Galaxy 
Because, you know, I mean, if you look back at the original Guardians stuff, I mean, you have a character named Charlie 27, and he looks, you know, he's freaking huge. He's a big dude. And you're like, yeah, I didn't see any Groots and Star-Lords there, you know. Right. And I saw the movie, and I fell in love with it. I was just like, this is fantastic. You know, Star-Lord is like my number four Marvel pick after that movie. It was just fantastic. So it caused me to actually go out and read comics, which is what these movies should do. You know, so that was fantastic for me as a comic book fan. I, I went and picked up the uh, Star-Lord Guardian of the Galaxy trade. And, you know, it basically showed every appearance of Star-Lord, you know, from the 70s and 80s. And I read it. And I mean, they're horrible, but they were fun, you know, because it's dated material. And then I, I went and got the Annihilation Conquest and the Guardian book. And it was great. I mean, the only thing that makes me sad is because when I read that book, like obviously baby Groot wasn't that, you know, he was more just flower pot Groot. Um, and even then, like, yeah, if you go back to, cause if I remember correctly, I think Groot predates the Marvel universe. Oh, you know, he was back during the, the Marvel monsters era when it was timely comics and, you know, they were putting out their monster books and there was, it was like Groot from planet X, you know, and he was a villain. So he was a douchebag. He was horrible. He was mean. Then the next time you see him was in the in the books you want to look for. It's called Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord. So it's a four-issue miniseries, and they basically build it as, like, the dirty dozen of the comic books. You know, like, okay, we're going to get this ragtag team of group of, of characters, and they're going to go in on, you know, this suicide mission. Right. And it was like, okay, you know, so you're reading it. And, and Groot was. Groot was a jerk, you know, like – Groot and Rocket, they didn't have the chemistry at first, you know, because, you know, Groot would be like, get off me, rodent, you know, get away from me. Um, but it was funny because it was Keith Giffen, who has a connection to today's comic book story, Invasion. Uh, Keith Giffen was the writer of that Star-Lord book. And it was funny because they asked him, they said, well, why did you think to put Groot and Rocket together as friends? And he's like, come on, a raccoon and a tree. It just makes sense. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, like, obviously there, there's there's a different origin with Rocket and Groot. There's a different origin on how they met. But they were such low-key characters that it was like the exposure was worth it. The movie was done right. And it's to a point where they're both fantastic that I don't mind that they're not the exact same. Now, of course, I'm sure if you ask somebody, you know, like, oh, hey, are you, you know, you're a diehard fan, they might be pissed, you know, because it's like, yeah, well... You know, like I just say, I just said, you know, like X-Men First Class, you don't have the original lineup. Guardians of the Galaxy, you don't have the original lineup. You know, I mean, there there are some of those things that, you know, call out and we get upset about, you know, like Ant-Man and Wasp. They're not original Avengers, you know. Um, so I guess it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, I, I'm lucky now. I finally got to a point where I'm just like, you know what? I'll pick and choose. I'll pick this comic. I like it. I'll choose this movie. I like it, and I go from there. Yeah, you know, I I, I see what you're saying. Um, I've ne I'd never read anything Guardians of the Galaxy before seeing that movie, and I did enjoy that movie. It's probably one of my top favorite Marvel uh, Studios movies. Um, but I had read a whole bunch of Ant Man stuff before uh, reading, watching that movie, and even though that movie strays away from you know the comic book versions of the characters it's still i still enjoyed that movie so i i understand what you're saying and and i yeah i'm i'm right there with you with the x-men uh which is i i mean i think it's just the shows you uh what marvel studios is doing right as a comp as compared to 
Fox Studios uh, when using Marvel properties or even Warner Brothers Studios when using DC properties. Uh, they have no excuse whatsoever. They have the rights to every DC character. And they should <laughs> right? be able to make those movies perfectly. But, uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, they constantly screwed up. I mean, it, the prime example is that Suicide Squad should have been their Guardians of the Galaxy. And they, they tried their hardest to make it be their Guardians of the Galaxy, but it just was, it wasn't fun. It wasn't interesting. Uh, the characters were all messed up, and you know you, you had almost no storyline that was like a, a, all all the way through. So uh, we don't have to get yeah, into well, all plus, that. I think the thing for me is like it could have, it could have, in the fact that the mission, but it couldn't because of the people. You know, I mean, it's like because yeah, you've got I'm sorry, death, death, dead shot. He's not a guy who's going to be like, oh, I'm your Star-Lord. I'm going to be the one who gets us to rally together, you know. And, and uh, you know, Captain Boomerang ran out on the team and then for some reason comes back. Yeah, it was it was a shame that they, they, they tried to take that model and force it into the other model. You know, and, and like you said, it, it, it does say volumes about what Marvel Studios is doing right versus what the other two are doing. And it's a shame because, like you pointed out too, DC, they should have no no, no reason to be – Oh, you know, like, it's a shame if only we could have Hawkman in the Justice League. You can. You have all your characters. You know, go nuts. Do it right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's exactly what I mean. You look at Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they're all a bunch of lovable rogues. They're not all killer criminals, you know. Right? I mean, <laughs> Drax, I guess you could say, is, is a killer. but Because they, they say that when they first introduce him. But... He's so, you know, lovable because he's so direct and he, and he just wants to get revenge for the fact that his family was killed. But uh Yeah, well plus when you kill space aliens, nobody gets sad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you but, know, it's but when you like have... exactly, cuz it's like when you put it in outer space, we're not too worried. But yeah, when you take a bunch of earth criminals, you know, and you show like I mean, again, Captain Boomerang, "Hey, you and I, let's pull off a heist." And then I I leave you for the fall at the end. Well, that's not going to be a guy you want on your team. And Deadshot is literally being paid to kill people, like people. Yeah. Whether they they do show us him kill one person, but it's it, I mean, and it happens to be like a mob boss, or or it's like a guy who's uh trying to uh like inform on on the mob or something like that. I I, I don't quite remember, but you I, know. I think it, yeah, I think it was an informant. Yeah. yeah, and so you know he's he's they are bad guys. So they at the, this movie shouldn't have been that movie shouldn't have been about them coming together as a a makeshift family like the Guardians were. They should have been like, no, we're cold, calculating villains, and we're gonna be villains, and uh, we we're gonna do this our way, and that's why we get we get the thing done, and and that's how the book is is portrayed. I've read a lot of the different runs of Suicide Squad. And it's always one of my favorites. And you, you, you even said it on this podcast many times. I like the villain teams because when they're forced to, to, to do good things because, uh, you know, sometimes they show redemption, but it's, it's another aspect of what's going to happen. But they totally screwed that all up in the movie. And it's just like, ugh. And you know what's funny? Because if DC was smart, if they wanted to mine their comic books and find what works, and this could have been a great way to introduce Green Lantern, jump to the movie The Ranthangar War. Yes. Did you, you read that, right? Yes, yes. That would have been perfect because you have, you know, you, you set up your characters. You know, you have Hawkman. 
you have Adam Strange, you have Kyle Rayner, Kellogg, um, and then you even get your buddy cops out of it with the two, the Thangarian and the the Ran Ranian. Yeah, the Iranian Green Lanterns that are enemies. And it's like, that would have been perfect. And yeah, you, you take some of your other space characters and you put them in there, you know. It's like, okay, well, let's take, you know, um, well, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to go get my encyclopedia. But I mean, they've got enough space characters that they could have said, okay, hey, let's take Captain Comet and let's make Captain Comet be our Star-Lord. You know, or even like I've been saying, Mr. Miracle. You know, put them in space and then all of a sudden you have them there. And then that even has more of a reason why this movie ties into, you know, what, what they're going to build with Darkseid. And it's like right there. That could have been the character movie you created. And then from that, that can piss off comic book fans. And there's nothing that you have to be true to that you could then create a comic team out of it. You know, call them, hell, they call them the Guardians of the Universe. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know Kyle wouldn't mind that or, you know, call it the Challengers of the Unknown. And then that's even perfect because it takes a longstanding DC comic property. And again, the great unknown is outer space and you, you have the Ranthangar war and everything would have been perfect. Yeah. So yeah, that's, you know, that's they, that, well, once again, DC is just off to a bad start. <laughs> Hopefully there's a course correction coming with, uh, uh, these, these newer movies. I don't see it as of right now, but hopefully we can get some better movies out of them. Yeah, well, you know, 2017, here's to a new year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done ranting. Let's uh, move on to some more news. Uh, the the yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 teaser trailer that they put out looks amazing, and uh, hopefully we'll see more, but not too much more. I don't want them to give away <laughs> everything in the trailer. And this is when Mitch left the internet. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Okay, so, all right, the best I've got for you upcoming now. So here comes the Chris Picks, as I'm going to dub them. So we've got a lot of items coming out, and Christmas is coming. So listen up and, and get ready to spend. So we've got Absolute Infinite Crisis, the hardcover. Okay. I know you and I both read the story. I know the story was amazing. And Absolute Editions are the best way to collect comic books. Go buy this thing. Buy it for yourself or buy it for the hardcore fan you know. It's a beautiful story. Crisis on Infinite Earths Absolute and the final Crisis Absolute. I cannot wait to put this with it and have the Crisis Trilogy. I'm stoked. Um, so that's out there. Um, Dark Man Issue 2. or Sorry, Dead Man Dark Mansion Issue 2 is out. You know, issue one was pretty fun, a slow burn. So here's the issue two. So that's one of my recommendations. One book, and it's funny. I guess now it's, it's kind of on my radar. because we were talking a spiritual sequel to Ranthangarian War. So, you know, that might be one to definitely go out there and put on your radar. Um, the Green Lantern saga continues with the Phantom Lantern over in the Green Lanterns book. Injustice Gods Among Us returns with Ground Zero. And basically, this is going to be the book that bridges us from Injustice to Injustice 2. So the Ground Zero book is actually going to be how the video game plays out, but from, from the point of view of Harlequin. Oh. been reading the online it's not too bad but you know definitely it's nice to see another way that the video game was viewed and uh, obviously right now you want to start paying attention to the superman books there's a lot going on there so superman number 12 is happening um if you're fans of tv wonder woman 77 meets the bionic woman comes out this up this upcoming Wednesday, which will come from Dynamite Entertainment. So that's actually, that's kind of neat. Um, I've been noticing DC is willing to do a lot of crossovers. They've been doing some work with Dynamite and IDW. 
Um, you know, hopefully one day they'll 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 work with these this group of comic book people. They're out of uh, you may have heard of them. They're out of the New York area. Uh, oh, we got Marvel. Yeah, Marvel <laughs> Comics. Uh, that'd be great <laughs> if they could do something over there. Yeah, because I would um, love to see a sequel to Marvel versus DC or Amalgam Comics. And I think a lot of the people on the internet around my age would 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 say the same. Oh God, our age would definitely love it. And for the you know the younger kids, <laughs> I think they would totally be enamored by it because it was such a a wicked, amazing idea that you never realized it actually could happen. Plus, could you, know? you could you imagine like take take into account now who's popular and and both sides? I mean, look at Deadpool. Could you imagine Deadpool in the in the amalgam universe? Who I mean, who would you combine him with in the DC, in the DC universe? Oh, God. Well, I mean, you could go classic and do like, you know, Deadpool and Deathstroke. You know, obviously they're a one for one. So you go for that match or, you know, yeah, you, you take those two characters and amalgam with some more like, you know, I mean, oh, man, good. Like, oof. I'm kind of my brain's going. <laughs> I had a, a brain aneurysm there trying to figure out, all right, who, who would I put Deadpool with? Um, who? I mean, obviously, you know, for the Hollywood sake, you could mess around and put him with Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Ooh, poke, <laughs> poke rib, you know, uh, go for a little shock and awe there. Or um, would you would you throw him in with man. Ambush Bug? <laughs> oh, could you imagine that Dead Bug? You know, or <laughs> Ambush Pool? I think I like Dead Bug. I think that just sounds ridiculous. And yeah, you know, just he's breaking the fourth wall to the point where like he's reading the comic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, no, but yeah, I mean. Kids today could see Dark Claw again, and you know that would they that probably blow their minds, you know. Right. Some, uh, you know, you know that you know Spider Boy might might be lost on them a little, but we could do other stuff, you know, Superboy and uh, Star Lord, Star Boy. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. There's there's so many characters now, you know. So yeah, I totally wish they would. Um, well, let's see. Okay, so jumping back to the the comic book stuff, so. Uh, Spider-Man Clone Conspiracy issue three is coming out. If you haven't been reading that, you should jump on it. Uh, it took a very Walking Dead twist recently, so that's that's got me excited. So I, I think that's it's definitely worth going out. Unworthy Thor is getting a second print, and that'll be coming right alongside Unworthy Unworthy Thor number two. Uh, beautiful art and big payoff i think we're gonna see something probably timed and just in time for uh thor ragnarok so hopefully we'll, we'll see what's gonna happen you know and that's that's about it so not much from the marvel side again sorry <laughs> <laughs> you no know, wait i forgot i am so sorry this one this is a major one and i highly recommend it just because of what we recently got with guardians of the galaxy 2 Nova number one is coming back and it's bringing Richard Ryder. So Richard Ryder, the original Nova will be coming back. And I believe they're still going to keep, um, I think it's Sam Humphreys. I think that's the name of the kid, the new current Nova. If I forget, if I remember correctly, I'm not too sure, but yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what, what, what's happened with Nova. How is he back? You know, what, what, what's happened to him? What's changed? Will they, so, um, will they still call the book? the man, Will they still call the book? The man called Nova. Well, right now it's just going to be Nova, so I think they're dropping it, you know. But, it, you know, that could have been kind of cool, call it The Men Called Nova. <laughs> could have been a neat little, you know, twist on the title, I think. Yeah. I always thought that was interesting because, I mean, once again, uh, I usually sway away from the space comics other than Green Lantern. But uh, 
uh, <laughs> it, I always thought Nova, the idea of Nova or the Nova, Nova Core was interesting. So, is is that a thing in the comic books, the Nova Core, or is it just like they just made that for the movie? Well, so it's it's kind of funny, and again, this is this is where you'll have to. I felt the same way you did. Um, I remember I was, you know, working at Diane's store, FanQuest, and Annihilation was being announced, right? And so basically Marvel was going to revamp its baseline of books. And I was kind of like, eh, you know, I don't really care for Marvel space. Um, but yeah, actually they did have it that there was the, the Nova Corps, which was exactly like the Green Lantern Corps. And when Annihilation happened... It decimated and killed every single Nova member except for Richard Ryder. So that's why he got such a power upgrade because he basically kind of, he didn't go parallax, but, you know, he was the, uh, he was the sum total of the power. So he went ion. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So he, uh, he definitely got boosted, you know, because yeah, like to me, I always kind of took Nova as a joke because when I think of Nova, I associate him with the new warriors, which was the teenage eighties street level kids. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I mean, here's the space guy, but yet he's fighting crime, you know, teenage crime on the streets, you know? So what, what was I going to associate him with out of space? But <laughs> yeah, no, he actually, he was, he was big time with the whole, uh, you know, the, the whole space league and, you know, we all got our sectors and, and, you know, you, you get chosen to be a Nova. So yeah, they were pretty much a, a direct carbon copy of the GLs. Well, maybe we'll have to uh, decide to uh, do a one-on-one of them someday. Yeah, it would be too bad. So yeah, I definitely, I know I'm going to give it a risk. I'm finally going to jump into outer space for Marvel. So I'll be picking up a copy of Nova myself. I recommend it. I think it could be fun. Okay. Uh, did you have some more that you wanted to go over? No, that was about it. I mean, unless something major happens here pretty quick. Uh, I don't know, maybe some Green Lantern casting, I'm hoping. <laughs> well, let's let's go ahead and talk about that rumor that came out this uh, the past weekend. So you had uh, actor Army Hammer. Uh, most people, I think, will remember him from The Social Network and uh, Lone Ranger the maybe, Lone Ranger, <laughs> and maybe even uh, the Man from Uncle, which he starred in with Henry Cavill, Henry Cavill, our uh, current Superman. Uh, I have to say, I, all three of those movies I enjoyed quite well. But while he was really Lone Ranger, yeah, I didn't think it was as bad as everybody made it out to be. I think more people just <laughs> were upset about Johnny Depp, and I'm like, yeah, he's he's the bigger star. Of course, he's going to take up more screen time. I, I just I really felt that it was a good movie. It's just, you know, Disney might have overhyped it, but they have a record of doing things like that with like John Carter or you know, uh, yeah, some of their other uh, haunted haunted mansion, you know, and that's kind of the way that the Pirates of the Caribbean movies are going now. Uh, but it's just, I I really didn't think it was as bad as everybody made it out to be, but. Uh, with that being said, Army Hammer did at one time when they were making the Justice League movie back in the early 2000s or it was mid 2000s, uh, he was cast as Batman, uh, that when the writer strike yep. happened in Hollywood, that, that movie was, uh, canceled and put on the shelf and you know, that he was no longer Batman, but, uh, he, I, I guess it started off with him being followed by on Twitter by Jeff Johns, which, you know, at this point is kind of a good, in, in, uh, a good implementation inclination that a, you know, an actor is going to be involved in the movie somehow because, uh, Jeff Johns is supposed to be the, the gatekeeper basically for the movies. 
and uh, yeah. and then he followed it up with tweeting to John or Joe Manganiello, who was playing Deathstroke. We know that for a fact. Uh, said, "Hey, man, uh, it was great seeing you," or something like that. To the, something to that effect. And then Joe said, "Yeah, you know, I'm so stoked. It's uh, it was great seeing you this weekend, or something something to that effect." And people just started going crazy. And uh, he, you know, playing Green Lantern, I think, is probably the the biggest one that could be out there, uh, especially since we know there's supposed to be a Green Lantern scene in Justice League that is supposed to be pivotal. And we've talked about it before of you know who it is they could possibly be. Uh, I think we both came to the conclusion it will just it will be it won't be an Earth sector uh, G- Green Lantern. It will probably be one of the other ones, or it would be uh, Avin Sir. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that's a safe bet that it'll probably be an alien GL. But yeah, no, I'd be I'd be totally stoked. And I don't know if you like yeah, Ar- Ar- Army Army right Army yeah Army yeah. So I, I like the way he played it out because yeah, when when Manganiello was like, oh, it was great, you know, and, and something about you know the big announcement, and like it was like literally a tweet with one word, and then finally like. Yeah, I'm gonna play my old guitar tonight. I haven't played that in forever, you know. And it's like, man, you know, even like Hollywood themselves, they know we're watching everything, you know. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I when hope he... that someday Jeff Johns starts following me. <laughs> <laughs> when they started uh, tweeting, or yeah, when he just started tweeting, "I will be playing," and then my old guitar because I found it in a closet. That's, I mean, a giant troll face should have just showed up right there because he just trolled everybody on the internet. Uh, I mean, yep. Uh, I mean that that's probably the biggest role that isn't being included in the Justice League yet. I mean, especially when they say things like "Unite the Seven, We don't have a Green Lantern for the Justice League, and it's it's very uh, very obvious. So, uh, what they're holding out for, I don't know. I, I could not even speculate. Just pick somebody at this point, and we'll just ha- we'll go with it. We're going along with everybody else, even if we didn't like the choices. Yeah, honestly, I mean, it's he, Green Lantern is a pivotal pillar of the DC universe. So it's like, yeah, do yourself a favor. You know, now maybe you know, I don't know if if the you know the, obviously they they want to do the height and try to get everybody you know oh you know like freaking out and whatnot. But it's like, yeah, if you don't. If you don't make Green Lantern a major character of your movie, you're doing it dumb. Right. You know, because even, you know, even Jeff Johns, if you go back and read his his new 52 launch of Justice League, you know, obviously the first Green or the first uh, Justice League we meet is Batman, you know, but then who's the first person to meet Batman? Green Lantern. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, that is, you know, because I mean, ultimately, if you think about it, out of all your Justice Leaguers, Batman and Green Lantern are the most human. You know, because if you ever take that ring away from Hal, he's just a guy. Right. If you ever take those gadgets away from Bruce, he's just a guy. Yeah, he's force, just... But, you know, trying to take the speed force away is a lot harder than taking away a ring. Yeah, exactly. You know? He's, uh, you know, he, the, those, those are the most human. I mean, at least at this point, especially since now that Cyborg is part of the, the Justice League. He's more, he even says it himself, he's more machine than man. So uh, not having Green Lantern in there does take the the fact that, you know, we're humans protecting ourselves out of the e- equation quite a bit. Uh, I think that it's also detrimental not to have the, 
the great dialogue that, in, especially in that book, um, and one of the few good things that came out of 52, but the dialogue between the GL, or between Hal Jordan and, and Batman, you know, Batman's literally like, you're a giant green light. I, I work in the dark. You're, you're, you're screwing everything up kind of stuff, you know? Right. <laughs> So uh, if you yeah, and no, then it's, also it's, you know you go back further in history and we get the guy guy Gardner Batman one punch so well yeah exactly I mean there's been a lot of relationship between Green Lantern and Batman and you know and it's even it's pivotal with all of them I mean he's you know Batman's interacted with John Stewart you can cite the Justice League cartoon there many times that people would be more familiar with you know Kyle Rayner you know looked up to Batman when he was first beginning. Guy Gardner, the one punch, Hal Jordan, you know, the whole, you know, one minute they're best of friends, next minute it's kind of like, well, you know, you, you went parallax, so we don't know if we can trust you. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of history, and it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. And I guess, obviously, I say it with a bias because I'm, like, Green Lantern fan, and, you know, to me, I'm thinking to myself, like, I mean, honestly, I can't really think of any incarnation of the Justice League where they didn't have a Green Lantern. It's always a great character to have because I, if we're talking about an age of diversity and, and really showing fair representation, Green Lantern is a great character that does it because Green Lantern's been doing that. You know, it's there's always been, you know, a lot of representation there. And it's like, yeah, you know, why not? You know, get get that character out there. Make your comic book universe bigger. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, you know? Your universe and your your on your big screen, make it bigger. So. Uh, uh, one last thing before we move on to the the TV show uh, crossover and comic book crossover, uh, you, you they're sitting at they're sitting at the watchtower and uh, Batman and, and Green Lantern are getting into a fight, and Batman brings up Parallax, but then Green Lantern brings up pa- Tower of Babel. Who who wins that argument? Oh, you know, that's um. Wow, good, good, good. I like I like what you did there. You know, honestly, I guess I would say honestly, considering the huge retcon where Parallax was the space bug alien that was planted by Sinestro, you know, how can argue that hey, it totally wasn't me. Meanwhile, with Batman and the Tower of Babel, that was Batman. He set that up. He orchestrated it. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of like you know, if somebody owns a gun and they keep it in the house and it doesn't get locked up properly and somebody comes in and shoots somebody doesn't the gun over owner have some responsibility and i mean i know that's that's definitely a big bear to poke but i mean there's there's definitely some consideration there so i mean how is definitely the victim of you know plotting and, and horrible machinations against himself while batman is you know his toys were ex- ex- exploited and it's kind of like yeah but why did you build those toys in the first place? You know? <laughs> so, I, I obviously I'm gonna side with Hal as his lawyer. <laughs> you know? but it's kind of interesting because then you know obviously with the retcons and the way the comics change and whatnot, it's kind of funny because then Batman could turn around and argue because of another retcon. He could say, "Well, why did I build the Tower of Babel? Because you guys mind wiped me during the identity crisis that happened." You know, <laughs> so it's it's some twisted stuff, man. There you go. All right. <laughs> So let's go ahead and get into talking about the Dominators. I will do a quick recap of the TV shows because uh, I think I think maybe more people might be familiar with that since it just happened. But uh, <laughs> then we can get into you know what what we saw in the comic books. 
So, are you saying that comic book wasn't amazing? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> hey, I'm saying that the cro- the TV crossover wasn't amazing either. I I really was a, a quite uh, let down with it. I think, um, but the high the highs were good, and then the lows were really bad. So it, it's just the way that it was. Now, uh, in the Supergirl episode, which came first, it really had nothing to do with the crossover. The last three minutes of the episode was Barry showing up saying, "Hey, uh, we need your help." So. That's them grabbing Supergirl from her universe, which is separate from our universe. Now, I think what the cool thing was is that they, they used Cisco to grab her from the from her universe, and Cisco had created a, a device that he was wearing on his arm that uh, told him which Earth he was on, and he, he named it, or at least the device named it, Earth-38. Now, I know you might find that particularly interesting because you and I both have an admiration for the Generations book, books in... Uh, uh, the DCU, and according wow. to according to Grant Morrison's Multiversity uh, Guide, uh, Earth thirty eight is the Generations world where uh, you know Batman and and Superman were created in nineteen thirty eight nineteen thirty nine not respectively, and uh, aged ap- appropriately in real time, having their different uh, families and then kids and all that stuff until eventually they got uh, Superman started aging backwards and Batman was keeping himself alive with, uh, uh, pits and tech. But, uh, yeah, that, that's supposed, I mean, that's that world, which you could also take into account that maybe they named it earth 38 because Superman was created in 1938. And, uh, you have, uh, you, that world is basically Superman and Supergirl. So I thought it was interesting. They gave it that, that name. What'd you think? What do you you know, I like that. I, I like how you, you did your research there. You did your research. So it's it's kind of funny because no matter what, both 38s really do lead to uh, Superman, you know, stories. And yeah, if, by the way, listeners, if you haven't um, picked up Generations, you should. Uh, Generations 1 and 2 was amazing. Generations 3 was good, but I think what hurt was it was huge. You know, like we, we had two four-issue miniseries and we got a 12-issue miniseries. Um, but <clears throat> I like how they play that out because obviously Generations is about family. Supergirl is family. 1938, referencing Superman's first appearance. So I think that's cool. It's very much that. Th- those are the Easter eggs. Like God, I wish, I wish the CW was the WB instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We'll g- I'll get to, to something about that here at the end when, when we're when, as I'm talking about it. So Supergirl shows up on in Flash. And that's when. Uh, all, basically flash has ollie there and uh the whole secret of flashpoint comes out and both the flash team and the green arrow team and the legends team are all pretty much upset with uh barry for screwing up the timeline tells him to stay back and not go after the dominators with them when they go to fight now ollie said says look if you don't let barry come help then i'm not going to come help and the and diggle is like hey then you're not going to come help. And really, is that what you really want to do? You're going up against this alien race that can uh, pretty much throw, shred you apart, and you're going to tell your two biggest hitters not to come along? I mean, does the Justice League tell Superman and Batman to stay behind because you guys, right. <laughs> you guys fucked up? No, you, you don't do that. You, 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 you let them come along, you defeat the bad guy, and then you deal with it afterwards. Which is exactly. what we saw in like uh, Tower of Babel, you know, Batman. They, afterwards, they're like, okay, we're going to take the vote on whether or not you should stick around. Uh, so while while going off to fight the Dominators without uh, Ollie and 
uh, Barry, they the team gets taken over by the Dominator's powers, uh, mind control powers. So uh, Ollie and Barry have to defeat all of them on their own. Well, they figure out that there is a device that is controlling all their minds. Uh, Barry being smart enough because let's, let's also remember that Barry is supposed to be a scientist and he can figure things out, but they just don't let him do that that often. He figures out to basically uh, lure the Supergirl, the controlled Supergirl uh, to the device. And as he's taunting her to, to charge at him, he moves out of the way and she destroys the device by plowing through it because, you know, more powerful than a locomotive and shit. So right. <laughs> uh, that's basically the end of the bar- uh, the Flash episode. We get, We then go into, as they're leaving the compound where the device was being used oh and let us not forget that we ne- we did we we saw a brand new building for star labs that we'd never seen before and it looks a lot like the hall of justice from uh you know the <laughs> the old super friends tv show and uh and now i know they use it in the comic books as the the hall of justice and they also used it in young justice as the hall of justice but uh that's i think where we saw it probably first with super friends if if i'm not mistaken yeah uh so you have most of the the green arrow team get sucked up into what is you can't think of anything better than a transport from star trek they basically just uh <laughs> teleported to an alien spaceship now now we're on to the arrow episode and the in this episode you have uh speedy diggle uh sarah lance the white canary uh oliver queen and uh felicity no, it wasn't Felicity. It's one more person, and I can't think of who it was at the moment. But they all got sucked up into this thing, and and they are inside of these pods, and they are asleep. And as they're asleep, you can tell. Oh, it was Ray Palmer. That's who it was, because uh, he originally started off on Arrow. But uh, basically, what we got here was uh, what do you get the man who has everything? Comic book, uh, the Black Mercy. No kidding. Yeah, they never. You don't. You don't actually see any Black Mercies. But this is literally what it is. You know, Oliver Queen is getting to have the life that he wanted. His parents are alive. He's going to marry Laurel. Uh, and, uh, you know, Diggle is is the new Green, Lan- the Green Arrow. Uh, Thea is... Oh, I remember, that. I remember that episode of Batman, the Animated Series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and eventually Oliver is, it takes on the role of Batman. He's like, wait, none of this feels right. And, you know, as the episode keeps going on, you see that uh, they they are they're all breaking free now. Thea is the only one that <clears throat> knew about it, but decided she didn't care that it was all fake. She'd rather live in the fantasy world than live in the real world where her parents are dead. So, uh, gotcha. you, eventually, when they figure out what they need to do, uh, as they're gonna get to the point where they're supposed to get to, so that they can leave the device, get out of the the dream state, uh, the 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 machine starts throwing threats at them like Deathstroke comes back and uh, you know, they're, they have to fight all these other guys, Damien dark, you know, basically they're big villains. So as they're, uh, they're there, they, uh, they defeat their bad guys and they're they're They all decide to leave exit out, but now they realize that they're in outer space and they have to wait for da, 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 the wave rider to show up and save them. So the wave rider then leads <laughs> us into the Legend, legends of tomorrow episode. So earlier on in the, in the crossover in the flash episode, 
they basically stated, showed us that uh, they, the Dominators were here on Earth a long time ago. They were there, and I can't, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but in something up in Oregon, uh, they they showed up and fought a whole bunch of army people. So the legends are like, well, we're gonna go back and we're gonna we're gonna grab one of the aliens from that time and we're gonna interrogate them why they want to take over Earth in this time in present day. Why does that make any sense? I have no idea. It doesn't really make any sense, but we're gonna do that anyways. So well, that's kind of that's kind of cool. There's a neat little uh, there's a neat little history. So maybe they were trying to do a wink and a nod. A very long and gated wink and sort of <laughs> nod but maybe <laughs> fair enough fair enough but uh, i mean you're you're taking a, a bet that one of the aliens that existed back then is going to be part of the aliens that that is invading you now you know what i mean right so or that they have a long-term plan so uh eventually they do capture one of the aliens but as they are getting captured a a young they never really say which agency he works for, but I'm I'm guessing it's probably like a, a no such agency <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> a, a young man with uh, some horn rimmed glasses shows up and says, uh, it basically takes them down and uh, puts them into now now Cisco and Felicity went with them went with the Legends team back in time because they are the super nerds as they have named themselves and they felt like it would not be right if the super nerds didn't get to travel through time. So as they travel, they they are there. They Cisco takes it upon himself to help out the alien as he's being tortured by the humans. And uh, when they he helps the alien out, the alien gets back to his people. Uh, Cisco and the rest of the team get back onto the Wave Rider, and they end up back in the present. Well, guess what? That that alien that Cisco helped back then is the leader of the Dominators now, and he that you know he it's the reason why he is a. Uh, invading earth because there's too many metas on earth and there's too many uh people messing around with with the time stream and basically because barry uh created flashpoint it's another reason why they are there to kill off all the metas so uh eventually you know (laughs) eventually they they uh they defeat the dominators they make them flee away uh, they they stopped the device that that was going to destroy uh, part, most of the world, and uh, and it was pretty cool. They had Firestorm, and actually transmute something. He the, the big bomb that was probably the size of, uh, let's say a, a half ton pickup truck, uh, turned it into water, which we haven't actually seen them do that often in the show, which really pisses me off because that's one of Firestorm's powers is to transmute things, change things into other things. Yeah, you, you figure they'd be all about that. That's such a cool power, you know? Exactly. It's, it's kind of the point. He's, that's why they, they called him Firestorm, the nuclear man, <laughs> to be able to do things like that's the whole point of, of Professor Stein to be part of his head. So with that being said, uh, Cisco then has to come to the realization that you know what he did is exactly the same thing as what Barry did, because Barry killed his basically killed off his his bro, uh, Cisco's brother by changing time. Because uh, in this new time, in this new timeline, uh, Cisco's brother's dead, and he wasn't dead in the previous timeline. So uh, when he found that out, he was very upset. But then he realized he he did the exact same thing because he thought he was doing the right thing. So that's what this big crossover was about. Basically to tell Cisco, hey, stop being a little mopey bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just see this in like a very Mr. Rogers, like the end of the episode. So let's recap. What did we learn? Stop being a Moby bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, four episodes to basically teach Cisco a lesson and make it so that he's not uh, depressed anymore, hopefully. And he's, he's going to be fun Cisco again, which is what we like on the Flash show. Wow. However, All right, so, oh, go ahead. Before, I'm sorry, before you get started, uh, the last thing we did see is that Cisco gives Supergirl a device that basically will allow her to either talk to uh, Barry or someone else in our universe or travel between the two universes whenever she wants. So uh, I assume we'll probably see this again or we'll see her use it again uh, sometime probably next season. And then if they decide to go with another big crossover like this, Next year, I, I, I have to assume that that will be uh, when when they decide to do, uh, if they do it, uh, a version of Crisis on Infinite Earths. You know what I'd like if they did, if they could do it, and this would be fun, because I think it would be really right up the alleyway of Legends of Tomorrow. They should do Armageddon 2001. Ooh, wow. Like, it, introduce Wave Rider the person. And then, yeah, you could do, you know, these little, like, spin-off episodes, kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the the Flashpoint and stuff like that. So, yeah, you could show a future Ollie Queen and what's going on, a future for Ray Palmer and, and you know, all these guys, Barry and, and things like that. And how cool would it be, you know, if they show these things where it's like, yeah, you could, you know, you could definitely, like, play up some stuff, you know, show, like the crisis and, you know, Barry outracing the antimatter cannon and getting, you know, killed. And, and then, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, Superman holding Supergirl after, you know, she, she took on a, a massive battle, you know, like, now, I don't know. I've am, got love for that crossover. Am so. I, <laughs> am I wrong or am I right? And, and, and what'd you say it was called? Armageddon? Armageddon 2001. 2001. Okay. Was that not the introdu- introduction of Monarch? Yep, that was because the monarch was ruling the DC universe with an iron fist because he killed all the heroes and he was the only only person. <clears throat> so, but nobody ever knew who he was. The rumor was it was a hero who betrayed the other heroes. And as um, we, as we know now, okay. it was supposed to be Firestorm, but that rumor got out, and every and they decided to change it at the last minute. But or not Firestorm, I'm sorry, Captain Adam. Captain Adam, yeah. And then to be Captain Adam. Eventually, they course corrected that and and made Captain Adam into Monarch when Arena came around. Yeah, right around Arena. Yeah, because it was right after the. Um, it was when they when they blew up Bloodhaven. Right. Um, so I forget which crossover that, that was. would be but, Countdown yeah, to Fifty Two, wouldn't Knights. it? Yeah, it was right right after – so, yeah, I think it was right after <clears throat> Infinite Crisis, and that led into the countdown. And that's when – because, yeah, it turns out they had the Captain Adam in stasis, and the only way they could hold him was by putting him in a monarch-looking suit. And so, basically, when Captain Adam was reawakened, we reawokened, he was very, very angry. And, you know, he basically was kind of like, all right, kind of kind of had his own parallax moment where it's like, well, if you want to do it right – Gotta do it yourself. So if if they were to do Armageddon, I would definitely lo- I'd love this because then they would bring in Captain Adam, and I think that would be an incredible character to bring into the comic or into the TV shows. Even if they didn't constant, they didn't keep using him. Like I would, I would, I would, I could see that at the end of it, they could be like, oh well, he's still gonna go fight for the Air Force or whatever. He's gonna be a government guy. He, he's not gonna be part of anybody's team. 
Yeah, I mean, they could definitely bring him in every now and then. They don't have to make him a total, you know. I mean, I, I would love it if he was a reoccurring character. He's one of my favorite heroes. But, I mean, at the same time, it's like, well, hey, I'll take anything I can get. So, yeah, I'd love to see him make his TV appearance. So one last thing, though, with the, the TV show, and I, I want to bring this up because I know that uh, you'll probably enjoy it, but uh, at one point, at the very end of the at the end of the, the crossover, when everybody's kind of having a party and celebrating that they won, uh, Supergirl is in her civilian clothes as Kara, and in, when she does that, she usually has her glasses on and her hair, hair back in a ponytail, which is very similar to the look of Felicity from Arrow. So uh, the two of them are talking, and Kara kind of walks away, and, and Ray Palmer is standing like right there while they're talking. Uh, Felicity then turns to Ray Palmer and says, you know, it's, it's like looking into a mirror, because, you know, that's the joke, is the two of them ve- look very much similar, very much alike. But then Ray Palmer says, uh, and which is played by Brandon Routh, says, you know what's funny? She looks a lot like my cousin. So... I think, you know, is obviously a joke thrown in there because Brandon Routh played Superman in Superman Returns and Superman's cousin is Supergirl. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was hilarious. Actually, it was funny. I was reading a thing by uh, Greg Berlanti. It was an interview. And and I'm pretty sure I saw the clip because there's no way I could have imagined this before the interview. But yeah, they had at one point where I think they filmed it. Um, like Supergirl looks at Ray Palmer when he's got his ma- his mask off and she's like, you look like my cousin and he just kind of does like a Christopher Reeve, Clark Kent, like, uh, you know, type <laughs> of thing. and you know, basically Greg Berlanti was like, yeah, we had to throw that in there. We had to do that joke. It was perfect. And you know, it was just a matter of trying to find where to fit it. So that's why it became, you know, the one that they did right there where it was like, Oh, you know, she looks like my cousin. And yeah. But <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was cool. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's good for the actors. It's fun for the fans. Why not? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's just good times. Great great way to get people looking at stuff. Okay, so I talked enough about the TV crossover. Let's hear about the comic book crossover. <laughs> okay, well, let's see. All right, so um, keeping in mind this is a 101, so let me introduce the Dominators. So they were basically an alien race known as the Dominion. Um, shocked to learn, um, they're actually very old. They've been around since October of 1967, and they first appeared in Action Comics 361, written by probably, I'm guessing, a young Jim Shooter, um, which is surprising because, well, I'm not surprised, well, okay, Jim Shooter's mostly associated with Marvel, and again, if we're talking Guardians of the Galaxy, this kind of... I guess the space people stay in space all the time, you know? So definitely Jim Shooter's got a lot of history with Marvel space. So uh, yeah, at the time he was writing the Legion of Superheroes. So he needed villains for them. And yeah, that's where he came out with. Now, which is funny because the Legion of Superheroes are a future superhero team. So it's kind of like, well, wait a second. How did these characters end up in the future and, and things like that? You know what I mean? But um, so anyways, so and I was curious. I was going to ask you about this. Did they actually show the Dominators? Like, did they look like their comic book counterparts with the, the yellow skin, the big, weird vampire multi-teeth and the, the big red circle on the yellow skin? Did they show them or? Yes. No, yeah, no yeah. alien. Oh, OK, cool. Yeah, they looked they looked a lot like the, wow. the their comic book counterparts. The the red dot in the in the center of their forehead was a lot fainter. It wasn't as as predominant, and they didn't wear the the robes. It was all just lanky bodies, like you see with uh, alien movies now. 
Okay, gotcha. All right, cool. Well, that's awesome. That's really neat that they did that. Um, so let's see. So basically, they, you know, they are just it's kind of funny the way they the power structures because obviously there's a lot of alien races in the dc comic universe um the there's the dominion and the derlins and the kund and those three are like the big ones you know they're like the three dominant alien races now of course each alien race has its you know its specific power set or whatever you will so the dominators they're pretty much you know they're 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 a high social you know they're they're very much like royalty but they're you know they're more known for their manipulativeness as opposed to their physicalness their physicality so you know they're definitely you know they're the the, the generals behind the war um so of course they're always scheming and trying to get things to happen their way so what i find funny was at the time you know in dc comics 1987 through you know probably in 1989 um there was a lot like the writers were very tight-knit close and so they actually had, um, they, they, uh, they were sure that they were um, going to do some crossovers. So at the time, DC Comics was doing DC, our Green Lantern Emerald Dawn 2. So they basically had that Sinestro broke in onto a, a meeting with the uh, Kunt. And, you know, Sinestro beat him up and all this and that. And then Sinestro and a young Hal Jordan flew away. So the Kund, the Durlins, and the Dominators were like, oh, shit, you know, like, we can't do anything. Because they were basically proposing that the three of them team up and take over the universe. And at the time, you know, they were like, uh-oh, the Green Lanterns just attacked us. We can't do it. So they're like, ah, oh, don't worry. We'll wait for it. We'll do it later. So obviously this was like, you know, in comic book time 10 years ago. In reality, you know, it was like one year prior to the crossover. And, yeah, I think that was like Green Lantern Emerald Dawn issue two or three, something like that. So anyways, so now here we are in, in 1987 and the Dominators, the Derlins, and the Kuns, they decide, you know what, it's time to do it. And what they're going to do is they basically propose war on Earth. Why Earth? Well, you know, there's such a saturation of superheroes. You know, that's where everything happens. You know, Darkseid's trying to take it over. Kryptonians live there. Martians live there, you know, and they're, they're sick of it. And it's like we can't have all that power on one planet. We have to control it. We have to take it over. So those three alien races team up. They also get the Gildishman, the Ocarian warlo warlords, and the Thangarians, which would have been kind of cool if they'd snuck some of them in there because obviously the connection to Hot Girl, you know, like what would the Legends of Tomorrow think, you know, if they saw like, hey, wait a minute, Hot Girl is, you know, part of our team and here's some of her people fighting. And what would she even think, you know, because she's more, you know, timed in with the whole reincarnation Egyptian thing as opposed to the space part. So I think that could have been a neat little like, uh oh, what's going to happen? Um, so yeah, so the, 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 the six alien races, they propose war and they're basically like, all right, Earth, surrender or we're coming in and it's going to be dirty. So at the time, we get a lot of famous faces teaming up to basically form a counter-strike to prevent this from happening. And it's funny because obviously when you and I started really collecting DC Comics, these characters went from what they were to what they became for us. So the first guy that's in charge of the Earth Armed Forces was General Wade Ealing. ALA. Um, and he was always, he was basically kind of like a poor man's uh, General Thunderbolt Ross. 
you know, but he decided early on to be like, no, let me inject myself with superhero powers and go head to head with my nemesis. Right. So he was basically always making life hell for Captain Adam. Um, Captain Adam was the gentleman in charge of Earth's super forces. So basically he became, you know, the captain of all the superheroes. He would lead them in the space battles and, and deploy and direct where they were going to go and do. Um, Amanda Waller was the intelligence. So basically, you know, she would, you know, find out anything that she could relay information and beg, steal and borrow as much as possible. And then, of course, just because why not, they also had Maxwell Lord, and he was basically a liaison and advisor for a lot of, you know, the, the heroes and, and connecting between superheroics and armed forces. So those were your major players. And the comic, like I said, they, they well, the comic books themselves, they were huge. They were like, I don't know, I want to say like, I think they were almost 80 pages. Now, what's really cool about those comics. So at the time, let me see if I can remember this correctly. We've got. Your, your writers were Keith Giffen, and he was one of the, the main guys behind the Justice League blah-ha-ha one-punch time period, and Bill Mantelow. And Bill Mantelow, I, I don't know if a lot of people will know him or recognize that name. Uh, I, I do, and he's, he's a tragic story. He's such a great guy. So basically, he is why we have Rocket Raccoon. Okay. Um, he's the creator of Rocket Raccoon. And again, space guys, right? They all say in the same comics, I guess. <laughs> right. But uh, Bill Mantelow, great guy. You know, it sounds like in the industry, a lot of people liked him. You know, nobody ever had anything bad to say about the guy. He was just a great person. And what's cool is he actually started getting into comic books. And, you know, he started the same way. He was a fan, met the right people, started, you know, teaming up. And, you know, just boom, next thing you know, you're writing. And, um you know, he was basically always considered um, he was quick. He actually had a nickname as the fill in king. So they would go to him and be like, hey, man, the regular writers of an issue behind. What can you do? Boom. He could pump out a script like that. So, of course, he was, you know, he was the go to clutch guy. Uh, and then on top of that, not only was he a comic book writer, but he decided to start going back to school. He went to law school. Now, this is where his story gets sad. One day while he was rollerblading, a driver actually hit him and drove off. Uh, it put him in a coma, and he also suffered severe head trauma. Basically, when he was in his coma, he had brain damage that was irreparable. So he he's basically kind of... He's mentally handicapped. He's under a lot of... Yeah, he's mentally handicapped. He's got a lot of... You know, people are taking care of him. Um, if you ever want to, there's a biography, and it's a benefit book, so hopefully this will go help him out. But there's Mantelow, A Life in Comics. And it basically goes, you know, the money's going to his brother and caregivers to help him, you know, keep living and all this and that. Uh, Marvel Comics did a great job uh, when Guardians of the Galaxy 2, or when Guardians of the Galaxy was coming out, they actually had, did a special screening for him. You know, they, they brought it over to his home and they let him watch it. So I thought that was fantastic. You know, obviously the guy was a great guy. So yeah, between awesome. him and Keith Giffen, they were the writers. And, you know, they managed to put this thing out there. They got it out there very quick and on time. Um, and we had a bunch of comic book pencilers. Uh, Bart Sears, a lot of people recognize that name. He's got some beautiful art. And here's the big one. Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane, yeah, you know, the whole image and Spawn and all that stuff. And Marvel Spider-Man, yeah, back in his DC days. So they were the... Um, they were the powerhouses right behind it. And I think you can so definitely I find see it funny the, that there's oh, – go ahead. I was going to say, I think you can definitely see that, uh, you know, that Todd McFarlane look in the Dominators, you know, com comparing to uh, his Spawn and his Spider-Man looks. Yeah, he definitely likes those elongated looks. And, you know, even when, you know, like when you look at characters like, you know, when their teeth show. 
yeah. <laughs> I know it's a weird characteristic, but they've got very signature styled teeth. <laughs> and I know, I remember when CW was putting out the promo picks, they definitely did try to reference a lot of Todd McFarlane art. So, you know, there was definitely a lot of, a lot of winking and nudging towards the industry in itself. But yeah, so basically, yeah, you had all those, uh, those aliens going in there, basically the dominators, they wanted to invade earth and basically be the de facto leader in the, the, the winners, the coons, you know, they're the brutes that are going to be the ground troops, the thing guardians, you know, they're fascist police and, you know, all these, all these groups coming. And actually I forgot too, the Daxamites, they were part of it. Um, so they were definitely, uh, that's what made this harder because they're Superman, they're Superman strong. So you've got Daxamites against a Kryptonian, so yeah, it was it was very tough, but yeah, yeah basically, but, you um, know, the, the heroes. That, oh, go have, ahead. I was gonna say, Daxmites have a very uh, easy, for, uh, you know, uh, weakness for Earthlings. It's it's, it's lead. <laughs> lead can be found just about yeah. anywhere, and it it puts. The, go I mean, grab a number two pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look, at, I mean, look at what happened to Monel in the comic books. I mean, just by being exposed to a little bit of lead, he had to be put into the Phantom Zone just so he wouldn't die. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, while they're they're powerful, you're right. There's a, there's definitely a lot of weakness available to them. You know, I mean, all they got to do is throw some tap water at them, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> but uh, oh. everybody at home right now is gonna be like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, actually, it was really cool. Um, the invasion book it was a three part proper series, and then it led out to all kinds of stuff. I mean, everybody in the DC universe was involved. I mean, we've got Checkmate, Flash, Firestorm. Justice League International, Manhunter, Wonder Woman, Superman, Animal Man, Doom Patrol, The Atom. So let me ask you this. Starman, Swamp Thing. Oh, go ahead. What what was it the heroes eventually did to turn them back? Well, ooh, now that's where you kind of got me at a loss. I'm trying to remember. I think, well, okay, I don't know, like, so this is the part. I don't know if this is what you're going to reference, but there was, the idea was there was a gene bomb. So the Dominators were going to have this bomb that would basically reverse the effects of superheroes and just get them, you know, or no, the gene bomb actually amplified them, you know, and so they they had to stop the gene bomb. And, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember who, I, I don't remember who stopped it, but basically, yeah, like the gene bomb would cause them to lose their powers and, you know, basically be worthless after that. So they, I think it was, yeah, Martian Manhunter. So basically probably the JLI and they were lucky enough to get in there, stop the gene bomb and, and win and beat everybody. I don't know. Is that, is that what we're, we're going with? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, cause that's I mean, it was a gene bomb in the TV series crossover. So uh, it's, it's good thing that they ended up keeping that, uh, you know, part of the, sh- of the, of the comic book. And actually what's kind of funny, um, there's a little wink and a nod to it. So at the time, um, the invasion storyline, obviously that was a big success for DC Comics. So Marvel, you know, always being the, you know, poking at at DC in their issue of uh, Uncanny X-Men 245, they have a gene bomb, (laughs) G-E-A-N. And basically it's a bunch of little Cyclopses running around to prevent their redhead from exploding because she will have the power to destroy relationships. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was pretty funny. but yeah, so yeah, actually, yeah, they, they did a good job of, you know, definitely winking and nodding towards the comic book series. Um, the comic book, it's definitely, it would be a tough read because it's dated. But for me, what stuck out was Captain Adam. 
Um, he's definitely a great 80s superhero. Uh, he's a fun read. And this comic did a great job of taking him as a new DC superhero and showing him off in a very strong leadership form, you know, because this is all post-crisis. So we have a very reluctant Superman because Superman's like, well, I appreciate that you all looked, you know, look to me for leadership, but I'm just not that guy. And here comes Captain Adam. And, you know, he did a great job of stepping it up. And of course, the Dominators, you know, this was just one of their schemes. Luckily, they kind of came out ahead because they, they weren't necessarily the troopers and whatnot. So vehicles and whatnot. So they would definitely come back to, you know, plague the superheroes again. Now, and, um, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, I think one of the, one of the things I do remember about the Dominators is probably the first time I ever heard them mentioned was when, uh, we start, we first started getting the, the spectrum in the DC comic books. And I remember you talking to me about them and saying, uh, you thought very much that they might end up being the, the, the carriers of the orange lantern for avarice. Oh, you know, I, I think we're. I, I know what you're talking about there. That, that was the uh, the controllers. You mean the controllers? Oh, dang it! So I was I was <laughs> wrong. All right. Uh, I mean, yeah. that was a conversation what almost a decade ago now. So, <laughs> isn't it scary to think about that? Like during our big hype of the Jeff Johns Green Lantern War of Light, it's like, oh my god, that thing's hitting on ten years. That's that's scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the Dominators. They, you know, they, they've definitely been. Um, you know, they're, they're very much legion of superhero web, uh, villains, you know, so I know I don't have too much exposure to them. They're kind of like anytime they pop up, it's like, oh, that's supposed to be exciting, you know. But, yeah, they're they're kind of, you know, they're kind of like the leader, the Hulk villain, you know, the leader. So it's like while they're cool, they're definitely not your fist fighting villain. You know, they're just right. more behind the scenes. Um, but, yeah, no, but definitely Invasion. It was a worthwhile uh, comic book. Definitely showcases the Dominators and stays in in continuity in reference in spirit to the tv show um definitely worth picking up i, I myself I, I know i bought a copy of it um you know because definitely like i know a lot of people you know it's harder to go back and read older comics but one thing i will say about the 80s and 90s of comic books they did a good job of crossing over you know back then when you would buy a crossover the issues felt worth it you know, and, and it definitely made fun. And like I said, you know, I was like the, the, the issue, like if you ever just obviously go online, go to the Wikipedia entry and you will see the checklist. Somebody actually did a good job and put it in reading order. And I mean, every book is involved and that's awesome because, you know, sometimes, you know, Marvel comics does it, you know, something happens. Well, it's an Avengers story. Well, it's uh, an X-Men story and they never really have the two crossover all the time. So this one, this one did a great job of getting every hero involved at the time. Well, there you go. I think you gave us, uh, gave everybody some good issues that they can go look up if they want to know more about the Dominators. And we got a good history of the, the invasion crossover in general. And, uh, and I did my best to recap the show. So uh, if anybody wants to <laughs> uh, get at us and, and tell us that we're wrong or thank us for uh, doing this public service, you can reach me on Twitter at, at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Uh, you can also find Chris on Twitter as stuff I should say and should being spelled S-H-U-D. And uh, you can get Geek Elite Radio at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. Then go to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Geek Elite Radio. Uh, be part of our conversation. Be part of the community and uh, join in. Tell, tell us what you thought about the crossover. Tell us what you thought about the comic book. 
if you if you were one of the few that read it. But then uh, go over to our website, geekleetradio.com, to uh, go ahead and check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But uh, until next time, this has been Imagine If Presents uh, Characters 101, The Dominators, and uh, on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.